Welcome to Porch Stories. I'm Mallory Gibson. Hi, and I'm Billy Bailey. I'm Larry Hakey. For the first episode of Porch Stories, we interviewed Dr. Aaron Nelson. Dr. Nelson is the Assistant Professor of Anthropology at the University of South Alabama. Her research focus is Southeastern archeology span with an emphasis on Mississippian culture. During our time with her, she shared information about the Mississippian ways of life before European contact. Hi. <laughs> so Aaron, can you please like tell us a little bit about yourself, like how you actually got interested in this subject topic and what you actually focus on? Sure, absolutely. Um, I am an archaeologist. I work at the University of South Alabama as a professor here, and I do research uh, uh, now on the Gulf Coast, but previously in many other parts of the southeastern United States. Um, my, you know, I've been I've been working in the South for a long time, but uh, you know, my PhD is from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and uh, since. I left graduate school. Uh, I've been working here mostly on in coastal Alabama. Um, so, you know, I, I focus mainly on uh, what archaeologists call the Mississippi period or the Mississippian culture, uh, which is the sort of, you know, spans the time period between about 1050 AD um, and really goes right up until European contact in about 50, 1550, so the mid 16th century. Um, now, those, those cultures, you know, the people belong, who belong to the Mississippian culture, of course, they, 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 their, their families and their social lives lived on after contact. But we make that. So that's, an, you know, archaeologists make that distinction between pre-contact and post-contact. But it's really more of a, an arbitrary dividing line. Well, I'm, I'm glad you you pointed that out and made that distinction because you know it seems like one of the things that archaeologists like to assign particular periods, and it's almost as if one culture quits and another one just springs up overnight based on a particular time. So that recognition that the Mississippian people continued on past contact, I think, is important to understanding American Indian history. And now for people who wouldn't know, what is Mississippian? Like, how would you describe those people or that time period? Sure. Well, um, to your point, Larry, about the distinctions that archaeologists make, um, we, you know, like historians and other people who think about history in particular ways, we have to have ways of thinking about what happened when. Um, and we have to sort of fit those into particular time slots, even if it's not always a good fit. So archaeologists are looking at material culture, material attributes uh, of people from the past. And so when we group people into time periods, we're thinking about what, what are the big classes of material culture that those people have in common. So for Mississippian people, it's based uh, primarily on a life way that's based on maize agriculture. So you have a food component, you, you find maize at, you know, archaeological sites associated with, with Mississippian people. And then maize as a food way really defines a lot of other things or is related to a lot of other things that define Mississippian people. So Mississippian people also are known for having a hierarchical social system where lots of people sort of 
uh, we, you know, we say at the bottom, that's not really a good term, but the, the, the base of society are really farmers who are propping up the system, um, growing corn and growing other types of foods. And then um, at the top of this kind of hierarchical pyramid, you have uh, the, the a leadership class, which for Mississippian people, you know, archaeologists talk about this in terms of uh, chiefdom social organization, where um, you have important leaders at the top who are uh, political, religious figures who are, uh, you know, calling the shots. Sometimes they're even telling people what to do in terms of how, how and when they're growing their food and how much food needs to come back to them to be to the, the chiefly class to be redistributed. Um, so there's some material things that we look for. Platform mounds is a big one for Mississippian people. So uh, mounds in, in the eastern woodlands have been built for thousands of years. But for Mississippian people, you know, they didn't have the same meanings for all of, you know, for thousands of years. The meanings changed a little bit. So for Mississippian people, uh, the distinction is that you have platform mounds and you have these important people, these political leaders, these religious leaders uh, who are actually building their houses on top of mounds. So a lot of times we think about burial mounds. That's not really a Mississippian pattern Mm -hmm. for Mississippian people. Uh, the mounds mean something else. They're associated with leadership and they have people living on top of them. So, you know, and there, I could go on and on, you know, (laughs) there are particular types of pottery. They're making particular types of tools, again, kind of related to this maize food way and other subsistence things like deer hunting and uh, here on the coast, of course, fishing and shell fishing. Well, you know, I said that about the, the trend, I guess, uh, Division line that seems like it's there, but that transition period, I know it's, it's hard to, to differentiate among some of the material cultures that archaeologists say that, you know, this represents a transition period from Mississippian, say, to, uh, present day Creek or Muscovian people. It, just finding those and identifying those artifacts can be difficult. Mm-hmm. It seems like it was kind of like maybe an evolution or cultural change due to the contact. They was forced to kind of change their ways due to contact. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people are aware that contact wasn't just about, you know, physical warfare and violence. Um, lots of social disruption happened because for many reasons. One of One of them was disease. So you actually have a lot of people you know, who are involved in this, this kin network who, who are, you know, there, there are lots of holes in the kinship system once disease sort of uh, decimates the population in a really real way. So, you know, those, those, I think those Mississippian traditions, you know, you can follow them through in terms of kinship, but at the same time, there's lots of reorganization and reshuffling of people around trying to fill in the, the gaps in that kinship system and, and make it continue to work. Uh, so, you know, just the loss of life and the loss of people who, you know, were, were part of that system is a big reason why that transition occurred. Um, so who, who were like the first explorers, Spanish, Europeans to contact the Mississippians? Yeah, so uh, the very first one that we have, well, the very first one um, that we know of is Hernando de Soto and his um, Spanish entrada. So the Spaniards were the first to make contact with people in the Southeast. Uh, De Soto landed in Florida in, I think, 1540, 
1540, I think, um, and sort of marched his army um, of Spaniards kind of up through Florida and through the interior of the Southeast. Um, and, you know, if you can imagine, it's, it's absurd, really, what he tried to do. He's got these Spaniards with their armor and their horses and their, their big herd of pigs and trying to march them, you know, through the swamps of Florida. And, it, and <laughs> you know, it's, it, it really is an absurdity. And, and the, the, the Entrada ultimately wasn't very successful. Uh, but on the other hand, they did cause a lot of uh, damage and conflict for the people who are already living here. Uh, so that was the first. There are um, various people who followed um, the Luna expedition was the first to set up a permanent settlement that's over in Pensacola. Um, so they're they're actually doing archaeology. They're right now finishing up their field season um, at the actual Luna contact site. Um, and there are some Spanish shipwrecks, shipwrecks that were with the Luna expedition that are um, in Pensacola Bay there that they're looking yeah. at. So there's... We're we're starting through archaeology to learn a little bit about a little bit more about the contact period than we have previously known. Yeah. So with that, um, what were like the Mississippians like first thought of these like new people that just came in and interrupted like their lives? Yeah. I mean, we can only imagine, right? <laughs> yeah. I imagine it was a very strange experience on the one hand, and also maybe a little bit familiar on the other hand. I mean. I think a lot of people think of Native American societies as being essentially conservative and insular, but that's really not, that's really not the truth. I mean, they were extremely interconnected. So they were used to visitors and meeting people that they didn't know, people who spoke different languages, had different, uh, you know, all sorts of different cultural differences. So in that sense, you know, the Spaniards were... Just another group of people. Maybe. Yeah. And on the other hand, this, the Spaniards very quickly got a reputation among Native people that they're sort of, you know, this is bad news. And of course, you have conflicting social values about how to treat visitors, right? Mm-hmm. So at first, when the Spaniards show up, I mean, most, I, I imagine that most Native people would have, and you can probably speak to this more than I can, but would have... Um, social institutions in place to, to welcome strangers and yeah. figure out what's going on, try yeah. to establish relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, but pretty quickly, you know, the word of mouth gets around, hey, the Spaniards are bad news. So after a while, you know, DeSoto, he's got this army. He's got to feed them. Um, so what they do a lot of the time is, is I mean, they're basically stealing food as they come across it from these Mississippian towns. So word gets around that, that these people are bad news. And then eventually... Uh, when DeSoto's army gets to gets to particular villages, they'll find that it's been abandoned. The people have gone, you know, somewhere else, and then and then sometimes they return, you know, once the Spaniards clear out. So, uh, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I imagine perceptions changed really quickly uh, once once some real yeah. interactions started. Yeah, happening. you know, I, I can understand that, and I think that's that's probably you know fairly accurate because. You know, there's the old saying, you know, among the, the Creek people that, uh, you know, nobody leaves hungry, that any visitors come to the, to the house or don't says always offered something to eat. Yeah. You know, it's, it's open and welcome, welcome visitors, uh, anybody that comes to their, their residence. And I could imagine that same thing taking place, you know, back in the Mississippian period. 
I would think so. And, you know, clearly the Spanish didn't know how to act in return, you know, <laughs> within that system of hospitality. So it's... Right. And, you know, their their emphasis was on, I guess, a gathering, you know, part of, again, looking for gold, looking for wealth. And, right. Again, supporting this, this army uh, was their concern. And, like you said, it's told that took advantage of the hus- mm-hmm. hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one thing I, I, I think we, we asked it, or Mallory started to, to talk about it. Where did the Mississippian come into the Southeast? Is there something that shows there was a uh, pre-Mississippian and then as we say, bam, all of a sudden the Mississippian people are here. Um, it, it is kind of like that for the Mississippian people, which I think is not a typical pattern, but but it does seem to characterize Mississippian origins. So um, the, the broad period before Mississippian archaeologists call the woodland period um, here in the eastern woodlands, um, because it was, again, based on a lifestyle that was focused around woodland resources, uh, but lots of, uh, there are lots, so there are lots of woodland period people of various communities all over the South and all over the East. Um, and then about 1050 AD, we think is, is the time period, uh, you, you see something really unprecedented happening, which is that a lot of these different woodland groups, again, they have different material culture, come from different places, probably would have spoken different languages. Um, they, they start to converge and we don't know why or how we can just see that they did because of the archeology span reflects that. Um, they started to converge at this site in uh, what's called the American bottom. So near the Mississippi river uh, near present day, St. Louis, Missouri on the opposite shore though. So it's actually a, the, the site called Cahokia is in Illinois. Um, so at Cahokia, I mean, archaeologists will debate about what happened. There seems to be um, some kind of religious component to this coming together. But what you have is North America's first real city. I mean, and it's a it's an urban area. It's multicultural. Uh, lots of people coming together to to build this place. And then after after that happened, uh, they they sent people out. So they had emissaries from Cahokia, and you can see this again in the material culture. There's a specific type of ceramic pot that they take with them, and uh, we refer to them as Mississippian culture bearers. And you start to see this, you know, up the Missouri River, up the Missouri River, um, and spread out down south across the southeast. Um, so you start to see them, you know, taking this new culture and, and spreading it out to other people. So at that point in time, um, you start, and I didn't mention this when I was talking about how to recognize Mississippian people, but they start making, uh, well, first of all, corn agriculture spreads out everywhere um, and becomes the main subsistence pattern, not on the coast, but in most of the interior. Um, and then people start making shell-tempered pottery. So again, the, the, the maize foodway, platform mound construction, shell-tempered pottery, hierarchical social organization, um, and a particular, also a particular um, set of iconographic motifs that, that are, you know, put into pottery designs and on carbon to shell and all sorts of things um, is another sort of defining feature of Mississippian. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so it sort of spreads out from there. Down here on the coast, the origins, we don't seem to have a direct Cahokia connection, uh, but people from Moundville, which was founded sometime after Cahokia, uh, probably in the early 12th century, um, we start to see people, we start to see Moundville pottery down on the coast, and it's really clearly, you know, made at Moundville. So again, the same thing's sort of happening. People who established a city at Moundville, which is near Tuscaloosa, Alabama, um, coming down to the coast and to other places and sort of bringing their material culture and their belief system and all sorts of things with them. Now on the coast, it's you have a different scenario because uh, maize agriculture never really took off in the mm-hmm. same way. And it's because the coastal resources are so um, extensive and they're, of course, they're focused yeah. on marine resources and estuarine resources. It wasn't as necessary to grow. Right. Right. There's a ready supply of food. Oh, yeah. You don't have to work hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You to work hard for this. Yeah. So do you think that was one reason that like DeSoto and Spanish like kind of chose this area, or was it just like they just happened to like hit here? Like, were they looking for those vast resources? Um. So this is not my ex- area of expertise, but as far as I understand, they were looking for resources to exploit, particularly gold. At the same time, the Spanish were um, exploring the Southeast. The other Spanish explorers were in the Southwest as well. So mm-hmm. it was a push, not just in the Southeast, but to to figure out what resources could be extracted yeah. from. Yeah. And, and the Spaniards had already been in, in South America yeah. and Central America. So Yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with the Coronado expedition that came up through the West and... Uh, you know, the principal purpose of that was, again, finding gold and riches to take back to Spain. Yes. Yes. So what happened to the Mississippi Society after contact? Um, Well, we a lot. I mean, a a lot. Uh, We talked already about the uh, diseases that Native people, you know, didn't have a natural natural immunity Mm -hmm. to, so... Um, smallpox and other diseases really decimated the population. Um, they also, and then, you know, <laughs> it's so, it's so complex. It's really hard to boil down. Um, so there, there was that. I also talked earlier about um, the interconnected nature of native societies pre-contact anyway. So, you know, they knew, they knew everybody around um, and so what eventually starts to happen, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's murky for a while. You, it doesn't show up in the archaeological record or the historic documents really um, for quite a while. But what tends to happen is people reorganize. Um, we call it coalescence. So lots of the remaining populations would have gotten together um, for protection, also to reestablish their uh, kinship systems and, you know, adoptions were are thing that that I'm sure took place um so you know in a kin-based um society you don't have to fill you have to fill all those roles so um adopting people and uh, they already would have known people um so what you get by the time we really start to understand this you know in the late 17th early 18th century people are coalescing kind of got the timing wrong of that. Um, but you eventually get um, confederacies of people who are coming together to make decisions and sort of band against all the all the people. From the oh, so you get the Creek Confederacy and another 
other similar. Kind of like family groups kind of just went to where they seemed they was comfortable with another group and kind of just intermingled with each other. Right. Right. And there's some, you know, there's lots that in some cases, these would have been people that you knew already. In other cases, you really do have people coming together who are really, uh, you know, who speak different languages and who probably didn't, might not have had a lot of contact before that. So, um, but those, you know, lots of societies in the Southeast, lots of native societies in the Southeast were matrilineal. So they shared a basic pattern of kinship that made sense to, to everyone and, and that, you know, those sort of institutions are the ones that carry through, even if you don't still see the hierarchical sort of chiefdom um, organization. There are other social structures in place, like kinship patterns, that do, um, you know, that that are that are this connecting line between pre-contact and post-contact. Can you, uh, you know, one of the things that fascinated me uh, early on in my my studies was the. Uh, Southeastern ceremonial complex and the richness of the material there, and then what can be understood about what that those motifs and patterns and designs and how they they reflect possibly the society and the culture that produced them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I think we're still working on understanding this, uh, but recently. Uh, there's a group of archaeologists in particular who have gotten together with a group of art historians, and I think some Native people were involved in the beginning, though I'm not sure how how that relationship lasted. I know it, it is contentious um, among some people about uh, the interpretation of these things, but certainly there, the, certainly all the people who were involved in the Mississippian interaction sphere shared this corpus of motifs that seem to have uh well they, they seem to they seem to tell origin stories and they seem also to relate to uh cosmology so the structure of the universe and what happens after death and things like that um so yeah there have been various attempts at interpreting these um and it's it's you know, I think we're getting somewhere. I think we're sort of unlocking what a Mississippian belief system um, looked like. Um, on the other hand, there are probably things that we're just never going to know. Yeah, I, I would hope there would still be that Native American connection and an involvement in that study because I think, uh, you know, the value of, of the new thinking in, in archaeology is involvement to help mm-hmm. understand from the native perspective, what they're looking at rather than uh, ascribing particular functions and use on something based upon the European belief system. Right. And certainly that has not always happened in archaeology. So we have a lot of work to do (laughs) and uh, a lot of relationships to build. But I think you're absolutely right that that's that's the way forward in really trying to interpret some of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, I... I definitely see with the two work groups working together the ability to understand and gain true knowledge about what what the material culture represents because that's the only thing we've got left. Right. So we've got to find a way to interpret that a material culture in a way that makes sense to the functionality. What did this thing do? Why was it used? Mm-hmm. Uh, along with understanding maybe 
again, some of those design elements mm -hmm. that's on the pottery or the shell engravings found in the Southeastern ceremonial complex. Mm -hmm. It definitely represents something. Well, and I think we, along those lines, I think we have to be more flexible as archaeologists in understanding that things can be interpreted in multiple ways and meanings can be layered. And, you know, a strictly scientific archaeological perspective maybe doesn't explain everything. Um, I mean, certainly I think, you know, I, I would consider myself a scientific archaeologist yeah, myself. Uh, but also, I think we have to be a little bit less rigid than yeah. we have been in the past about... I mean, me and you spoke a lot about that type of thing about religion and things of, like, Creek people compared to Mississippians. And it seems like, I mean, you, for one, have kind of took what I've said and kind of compared it to stuff. And it's um, compared to, the, to, like, the scientific part of archaeology. And it seems to it seems to help with, like, our research and things like that. So It's good to hear. So, do archaeologists know what current day tribes actually came from the Mississippian people? Like, um, it's a complex question. Mm -hmm. uh, we do know, in general, you know, many people, many of the of the current Native American tribes that you know live or have connections um, to the Southeast were descended from Mississippian people. I mean, it was a broad scale, um, sort of over you know a third of a continent wide sort of. Uh, you know, sort of phenomenon. So most of the people who have historic ties to this area are descended from Mississippian people. Um, it's a very tricky that we call it the proto-historic, which is a time period, you know, in between when we don't have any documents at all and when which and the at the other end we have a pretty good record of ethno-historic accounts, mostly from a European perspective. Uh, but there's this, you know, there's a century or so in between when we just, and it's it's a time of a lot of upheaval, a lot of movement, a lot of reorganization, and we're really only in the beginning stages of trying to figure out uh, how to connect modern tribes with the Mississippian people that, that they're descended from. Um, so I think a lot of archaeologists would say, you know, they say the Creek Confederacy didn't exist until such and such a date. Um, and that may be true, but that doesn't mean that there's no connection to the, to the, you know, the people yeah. who came before. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's, it's, it is tricky. Um, and some, in some cases we're able to do it better than other cases. Yeah. Um, I was, I was speaking the other day to, um, the tip of, of the Cushada tribe of Louisiana, and they're really trying to focus on how to, I know they were part of the Creek Confederacy, uh, but also have kind of an individual history or, and, you know, a, a, a more sort of Kushada history within their involvement with the, the Creek Confederacy. So they're, you know, they're trying to trace that. What is their sort of individual identity and can you see it archaeologically? Um, that's, you know, within the, within the Creek Confederacy, but also as Back a, to their, a their specific town. Their specific town. Yes. Cultural elements within the Mississippi. Yeah. Like, where is that breaking point for the two or, of them? Yes. Or what do they look like? What's yes. the differences? What's their uniqueness? Yes. So, yeah. you know, it's important to remember these these more modern organizations. Like, they do have history. You know, there are there are there are groups within them that do have distinct histories. So, sorting all that out, you know, it's it's, 
it's tough to do, but the archaeology is there. So we, you know, often we can, we can see differences in material culture that may reflect those different histories. You know, because again, that's, that's exactly what the Creek Confederacy, you know, the definition of is, is a coalition of all these other groups that made up the Confederacy. So it only stands to reason that these different groups, there would be something that individualized them and separated them right. from their neighbors. Right. But there would be things common because again, they were, they were common within the Confederacy. And, uh, you know, I, you know, see how the Muscogee Creek people have, uh, came to be one group. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a recognition that there are different, uh, we would talk, about different towns within the, mm-hmm. the, the nation uh, representing different people, but they still think of themselves as one. Right. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that, 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 that's nothing new. And if you think about Pensacola culture, which is the Mississippian expression down here on the coast, it is made of local. Um, you know, what we would call woodland people plus Mississippian people who came in and then they sort of, you know, they they intermarried and they formed new alliances and new towns probably. And I think, you know, I talked about chiefdoms earlier and how we think about how archaeologists think about social organization. But really, I think what we're going to find as we think more broadly and learn more about the archaeology is that there that these other social organizations you know, the kinship system, also the towns are probably going to be, we're probably going to see that in Mississippian archaeology. If that's, you know, since I, I think probably that's what's going on in Pensacola, um, where there are a lot of individual communities or towns who, you know, are part of this broader kind of pattern, but still have distinct histories. And that's it for this week's episode of Porch Stories. Tune in next week for another episode. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Bye.